This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. One of the joys of doing this, uh, first and foremost, is bringing Justice Reynoso to San Diego, but another is this community. And you're a community, this room is full of people who care about their community, and have spent a lifetime, many of you, doing work for the people in the community and to support the diversity of the community. And when we thought about that, we thought there couldn't be anyone better that does that to introduce Cruz than somebody who's worked tirelessly for the community. He happens to represent this district, the third district, and that's Councilperson Gloria, Todd Gloria. So let's welcome him. Thank you, Gretchen. That's very, very kind. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I have to start. I have certainly had the honor of introducing our speaker, but uh, as the council member for this district, I'd like to welcome you to District 3, the best council district in the city. Just ask any of my colleagues. Uh, and I, w- I want to welcome you to your central library. Uh, I, uh, I voted for this project many, many years ago, and some of you may recall how controversial that vote may have been. Uh, and here we are uh, a year uh, in a bit into uh, its life, and the, the building is predicted to last 200 years. It's built that strong. Uh, and I think it's really, truly a gift to the community, and I just got the best endorsement for it ever uh, when the justice said that he was impressed by what he saw. Uh, and I think it's nothing like an outsider's perspective to see uh, really the civic embodiment of our city. Right, And we built this facility just for nights like now, uh, for, uh, for community members to come together to talk about ideas, exchange uh, information. Uh, that's what we did this for. And so I'm so pleased that you'd be here tonight. I'm thrilled with the turnout, although not surprised given the quality of the speaker that we have. And it is my distinct pleasure to uh, be with you uh, to introduce a visionary leader for civil rights and for equality, not just for people of color, but really for all human beings. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I, like many of you, I think watched closely as our president addressed the nation from Selma, Alabama. And as many of you know, this year marks the 50th anniversary uh, since those marches, a a large part of our civil rights movement from the 1950s and 60s, and a catalyst for voting rights in this country. Now, as we commemorate that achievement and the bravery of those marches and the marchers, it brings about a really important question. And when it comes to race and civil rights, where are we? of course, we can respond, and I think many of us would, something along the lines of that we're not exactly where we want to be. Am I right? Um, but I think the more important uh, reaction would be, what more are we doing about it? And I think that's a part of what we can talk about this evening. What are we going to do to further civil rights? What are we doing to further equality? What are we doing to pursue justice? What are we doing to give more folks a seat at the table? Uh, as you, many of you know, uh, this is personally important to me as the city's first Native American, Filipino, Puerto Rican, Dutch, gay council member. <laughs> and many reasons I ran to give my folks a seat at the table. I understand how critical it really is to have more people involved, and I think that's a part of the discussion this evening, to make sure that we're there to advance not just issues of equality and justice and civil rights, but I know that people of color, I know that gay folks care a great deal about balanced budgets, about paving streets, about quality public education, but that you don't get that if you're not participating, if you're not involved. And so uh, we are fortunate that we've had pioneers uh, throughout you know, our nation's history. Uh, recently, of course, people like Dr. Martin Luther King, Susan B. Anthony, Harvey Milk, and of course Cesar Chavez. But ladies and gentlemen, tonight it's my honor and my privilege to introduce another great civil rights leader, an activist, a legal scholar who has been on the front lines of this fight and struggle for equality in this great state for many decades. And of course, that is Justice Cruz Reynoso. And just a quick little bit of his biography, although I'm in, I probably don't need to do this because in everyone I spoke to, all of you seem to have a personal connection to the justice, <laughs> which I think is truly incredible. Um, he was born in Brea, California, and grew up as one of 11 children. Um, by his eighth birthday, he was hard at work in the orange groves of Southern California and the Central Valley, where his parents tended to local farms. He earned his bachelor's degree uh, from Pomona College, and following his graduation, enlisted in the United States military for two years. At the end of his service, went back to learn his law degree from UC Berkeley. Uh, after graduation, uh, Cruz went on to co-found the California Rural Legal Assistance Organization, a nonprofit law firm and advocacy group that works to, to advance the interests of minorities and underserved populations. 
By 1974, then and current, Governor Cal- Jerry Brown uh, nominated <laughs> Cruz to be uh, the California, on the California Court of Appeals. And then in 1981, to the California Supreme Court, making him the first Latino to preside over California's highest court. I think that's incredible. From 1981 to 1986, uh, he served as an associate justice, hearing cases on a host of issues, environmental protection, due process, death penalty, and, of course, civil rights. In 1993, he was appointed to serve on the U.S. Commission for Civil Rights, and by November of 1993, he was the commission's vice chairman. Cruz is the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, as you all know, our nation's highest civilian honor, for his work to address social inequality and his leadership as a co-founder of CRLA. Today, Cruz is still active in his academia as a professor emeritus at the UC Davis School of Law and from time to time still handles some pro bono casework. You can't keep a good activist down, am I right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, on behalf of this great city, please put your hands together in welcoming the Honorable Cruz Reynoso. Thank you very much for this terrific introduction. Thank you. Well, my goodness, what a terrific introduction I I just mentioned. Uh, Some some folk around here do their homework, can you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, it's it's a great pleasure to be here with you. Great pleasure to have been invited and great pleasure to be be here tonight. And I was told, and it's true, that quite a few people would actually come out on a weeknight to... Uh, to listen to a talk uh, and to maybe have some good questions for me uh, in, in, in a minute. Uh, I, and, and I was also pleased to be here at a time when uh, this area uh, is honoring Cesar Chavez and Cesar Chavez Day and, and, and Week. So, so to me, it, it was a very natural uh, way for me to think about how to present uh, the, my thoughts in terms of the uh, role of the Latino community in a changing America, and America is 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 indeed is indeed changing, um, changing even since the time that that uh, I knew Cesar Chavez. I I, fi- I figured it out um, uh, when when I m- met him in nineteen. Uh, oh, I said I figured it out and I jotted it down, and, and all I have done is that I that I met Cesar Chavez fifty six years ago. And the reason I jotted that down was just to think about how much uh, California and how much the U.S. has has changed in that time, ethnically and racially. I was commenting earlier that when I was a kid, I I felt always rather sad that my folks came from Mexico, Los Altos de Jalisco, uh, uh, in the 1920s. And, and I was always sad that I didn't have cousins and so on around. Uh, now, my goodness, uh, we have, we have a, a cousin, an older cousin, who's a nun in Mexico, and she came to, uh, to visit in Sacramento, and we had a family get-together. There must have been 200, 200 Reynosos in that get-together. So, so, and, and, and that uh, obviously reflects what, what's happening in, in California. And I'll get, I'll get back to that in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about Cesar Chavez and, and the community service organization, which is where I met him. And I want to talk about that because to me, that organization was still the best community organization that I've ever belonged to. And to me, that, that's also an indication of what we need to do uh, to find answers to, to, several the, to some of the several issues that I will mention uh, to you uh, in a minute. And what, and what we did, I, I had just gone to uh, start practicing law, actually, in Imperial County uh, back in 1959. Uh, and a gentleman invited me to, to join the local chapter in El Centro. Uh, there had been one for some time in the city of Brawley, and then one had just formed in El Centro, then later one in, in Calexico. Uh, and so I went and, and liked what I, what I heard, so, so, so I joined it. And we had a very active group. Uh, one of the things we always tried to do was to register voters and to make sure that they voted. Uh, in, indeed, we would always uh, go, to, go to the vo- voting booth office, and they would have a list of, of, the, of, the, 
of the registered voters and who, who had voted and who hadn't. If somebody hadn't voted <laughs> that, that, that we knew in, in the community, this is mostly in, uh, in the part of, of El Centro where the Latino and African Americans communities uh, lived, we go get them. You know, so we had very, very effective <laughs> uh, uh, get, get out, get out the, the, the vote drives. Uh, and then the, the communities served serve their community well because we were talking about whatever issues were involved. On one occasion, uh, the, the community uh, service membership mentioned their, their sadness in a way, uh, their, their sense of not being uh, helped by the city because there were no sidewalks and curbs uh, in, in East El Centro where the minorities lived. And e- even in El Centro it rains from time to time, believe it or not. Uh, and, and so they wanted that. So they authorized me uh, to go talk to the city fathers and mothers about it. Uh, and I went and talked to, to the city manager. He was quite excited, actually, to hear uh, that, uh, the, that the citizens of East uh, um, El Centro were interested in that. And, and he told me that, in fact, there was a way to, to be done, that the law authorized us to uh, set up a special district where the people could tax themselves to have those things built. So I went back and reported that to the CSO membership, and even though most of them were poor, they said, yeah, we want to do that. We're willing to tax ourselves so our community can be improved. I went back and reported that to, 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 the, uh, uh, to the fathers and mothers of, of the city council, and, and they too were excited about it. In fact, later they voted to pay for all of the legal and, and engineering uh, expenses to set up that, that district once the people had voted for it. And I remember thinking to myself that, in fact, we were dealing with with lack of communication. And that's one of the things I think that we have to worry about in this this community, in this state, in this country. Because uh, the folk in in, uh, uh, East uh, El Centro were saying, gee, look look at those Anglos. You know, they just take care of their part of the city. They let our, our part go to pot. And sad to say, I think probably many of the Anglos were saying, gee, look at, look at the Chicano part of the city. They, they, they don't even have pride in, in their community. In fact, they were both wrong. The city fathers and mothers were happy to hear from the CSO membership and the CSO, uh, and, 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 and I don't think that, that uh, uh, there was, at that point, that's where I saw a lot of prejudice in, in, in Imperial County in those days, but, but I don't think it had to do with that, with that situation. So, so very often we have to worry about keeping communication uh, with, 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 with an, one another. Uh, and Cesar Chavez uh, was the staff person for the CSO, so he would come by uh, uh, not, not infrequently. And, and, I went, and after one of the meetings, he said, Cruz, he says, we need to talk. Uh, and so I, we went out to a late dinner. I don't know why, I still remember it was a, it was a Chinese, uh, Chinese restaurant, maybe because it wasn't a Mexican restaurant, I remember that. <laughs> and, and he told me he was, he was planning to leave the CSO and, and start organizing farm workers full time. While he was still with the CSO, he had started organizing farm workers in the Oxnard area uh, and, and, and knew how difficult that, 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 that was. Uh, and, but, but he and the people that he was working with uh, a- actually, uh, actually su- succeeded. And so he told me that he was going to plan to start organizing farm workers. He didn't feel that anybody could organize farm workers except a fellow farm worker. So he was going to give up his job with the CSO uh, and start working as a farm worker. He had talked to his wife, Helen, who had also agreed to, to start working in, in the fields again so they could uh, support, support their family. Um, and, and in fact, that's the, that's the idea he had. Uh, you, you may recall that when he started, form, for, started forming the Farm Workers uh, Group, it was the Farm Workers Association. Uh, he actually had uh, qualms about unions uh, because he had seen too many strikes being called uh, and, then, and not succeeding. At that time, the FLO-CIO Agriculture Organizing Committee was calling strikes from time to time. They didn't succeed. The only people who would suffer, he would see, were, were the farm workers who would then ble- be blackballed sometimes. So he had a certain suspicion. He, he, wanted, uh, he wanted to organize the farm workers, and he did want contracts. Um, but at least initially, he wasn't thinking of a, farm, of, of a union the way it became later on. When, when I think he became convinced, and the farm workers he had associated had been convinced, uh, that, 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 you, that you really needed more 
than something like the CSO. You needed the power of a union uh, to change things, and that's when it became the United Farm Workers uh, or, or organization. And I've been asked, what, what, what can we learn from what Cesar Chavez did? And you know, uh, the, thing, the thing that I put down on my notes is, is, is the concept of not giving up. When he started organizing farm workers in Oxnard, there were all kinds of problems. First, the, the Braceros were here and they had all the jobs, even though the law said that the local, far, local farm workers had precedence. So he had, to, so he had to fight the associations, the farmers' association. Then he found out that, in fact, it wasn't just the farmers' association, it was the government uh, people who weren't enforcing the law because if the local workers weren't given a job, they could remove all, all of the braceros, and that, then obviously they would have to, uh, have, have to hire the local people. So, so it was a long, hard struggle, and, and very often when he started organizing farm workers, the main, the main thing that he would always say is, you don't give up. You have to keep after it. You'll have this defeat and that defeat, uh, but eventually if you stay with it, uh, you, you, you'll win. And, and I think that's a, a, a lesson really for, for all of us. So where are we now? We now are in a state of California where 38% of the people are Latinos. Uh, and indeed, I was just reading recently that in Stockton, for example, 40% are Latino, something like 12 or 13% are black, and that same, same number are Asians. That is, a majority of the people even in Stockton now are minorities. And indeed, California... Uh, has now become a minority state. The minorities here, the American Indians, the a- Asian Americans, the black Americans, the brown Americans, now form a majority uh, of, of the people uh, in, in this state. Uh, so, 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 we, so we have to ask ourselves, um, what are we going to do in this really, I think, a new world? The world is changing in terms of what American is. American was founded. Very often there, were, there was a Catholic colony, but it was mostly Protestant. It was mostly European. And, and now it, it turns out that, that a majority in California aren't, aren't of European ancestry. They are of Latino ancestry, of African ancestry, and of Asian ancestry. So, so, the, so the whole uh, country is really changing a, a, a great deal. We're involved, I think, in a great experiment, we in California, to see whether or not that mixture of people and languages can, can indeed uh, work together and, and yet have a common sense of community, a common sense of what we hope for, 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 for all of us. Uh, and and it's, 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 not, it's not easy. And yet, as I see it, the whole country... That is, we are a precursor of, the whole, of what, what the whole country was going to, is going to look like in 20, 30, or 40 years. So we have to make, it seems to me that we have to make it succeed. We have, we have to, to make sure that, in fact, we have the social welfare and, 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 and a, a successful state to be able to tell the rest of the United States of America that we can succeed as a nation, we can have a common core that, that we believe in of, of, what's, of what's, what's important. But that has to be done, I think, with, with understanding, having a goal of understanding, with dignity for one another, and with care for, for, for one another. You know, I was reading a book about one element that really, that really struck me. Uh, and uh, it had to do with, a, with an experiment in India uh, to show you how folk can be, can be so much the same and yet, and yet so different. And, and, and the, the experiment was this, and I'll take just a minute to tell you about it. The, the, they took 321 high school students, some from a very low caste and some from a very high caste, and they had them work on some rather complicated mazes. Uh, and, and when they finished, they, they did about the same. Uh, and, and yet, the, the ones that, that came from a low caste had done slightly better than the ones with the high caste. Then, then, the, then they had them do it all over again. But this time, they asked each of those children to give up, get up and, give, and tell, give their names. This is out loud now, so everybody would know the village they came from, their father's name, their grandfather's name, and their caste. 
Then they were given very much the same type of mazes, but different ones, of course, to work, to work on it. And, and what happened was that, that the students from the low caste um, did far worse the same time around than those with a high caste. And, and to me, you know, it, 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 it just shows that so often we're influenced by people around us, what they expect from us, uh, what we expect from ourselves very often. You know, I hadn't thought much about, about uh, a certain reality that I went through, but I can see that this applies to that. For several years when I was a youngster, I went to a segregated school. In fact, I was born and raised in Brea. There were only a few, a few uh, Mexican families there, so we spoke only Spanish at home, but only English outside of home. I knew that I knew English pretty well because I got in trouble in the first, first grade. Uh, a little girl... Uh, was was uh, having trouble reading a certain word, and the teacher was there by her, helping her. I thought I was helping her when I butted in and read the word for her. Well, the teacher got mad at me. Obviously, I was <laughs> interfering with her teaching, and so she sent me to see the principal. Well, I was too scared to go see the principal, so I didn't. I walked out of, walked out of the room, and I went outside the schoolroom. I waited for a little buddy of mine to come out at the end of the day, and we ran home as fast as we could. When I went back to school the, the next day, the teacher didn't say anything. I think she just assumed I had gone to see the principal, but, but I was too, too, too scared to do that. Then we moved and we, we, to a barrio called Alta Vista. I told people that, that uh, the only other barrio uh, that was poorer than ours was near Los Angeles called Maravilla. So the poorer the barrio, the fancier the name. Alta Vista, Maravilla. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, 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 we found a place in La Habra that looked like the schools we had in Brea. So three of us were old enough to go. Uh, I, I ended up with five brothers and five sisters. So we found this school. We tried to enroll, and, and, and they said, no, you go to another school. You go to Wilson School. So we went to Wilson School, and we noticed that everybody there was Chicano. So we asked, why are we being sent to this school? And we told we, we were being sent to that, that school to learn English. Well, since we already knew English, we were a little bit suspicious, and then we discovered it was just a segregated school. You know, I, I guess we hadn't known about segregated schools, even though they were very plentiful uh, in, in those days. Uh, but of the boys in my grade in the, in the segregated school, I was the only one to graduate from, from, from high school. All the other boys uh, quit at age 16 to work in the Orange Groves that actually existed in Orange County in those days. Nowadays, you can find oranges only in supermarkets. <laughs> uh, but in those days, the towns were small. In fact, I'm trying to write something akin to a memoir. So I looked up, I was born in 1931, so I looked up uh, how big was, was, was Brea in, in 1930 when they took the census. I had estimated about 3,000. It was actually 2,800. Can you imagine? It's probably now 50,000 or, or, or more. Th th things, things have changed a bit <laughs> in America. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with, it, with this ch changing uh, uh, America? And it seems to me that Latinos now, with the numbers that we have, not only in California, I was invited to go to East Tennessee, my late wife came from East Tennessee, so I knew the area quite well. There were no Latinos there when we were married, uh, you know, 50-some years ago. Uh, but, uh, but I was invited to speak uh, on, during a Martin Luther King celebration. But, they, but they, I believe that the organizers were trying to bring the Latino community more, more into uh, the, uh, the civil rights. So, so I went. Uh, and I was told that there are now 84,000 Latinos in, in East Tennessee. And then I was reading that in Nashville, there are even more than that. So lo Latinos are, are all over uh, the United States. It's, it's not just in, in California. Uh, so it seems to me we, we, have, we have to look at where we are and where we should be. And, and for me, frankly, the real answer in having Latinos being able to provide the leadership that they need to provide is education. And I must say that things are not going as well as they should in California for, for education. I went to a community college. Guess how much I paid for, for, for my education in, in the community college? Zero. 
That was during the time when Pat Brown was governor and so on. And we, had, we then had the master plan, which promised a young, anybody, but particularly a youngster, free public education, K through 12 and through graduate school. I then went into the army as indicated. I came out and I went to Bolt Hall, to, to Berkeley Law School. And, and guess how much I paid for my ed- legal education then? Zero. Guess how much the students are paying now at UC Davis or Berkeley or other public law schools? $50,000 a year. You know, that, that simply can't, can't, it can't continue, uh, particularly to have Latinos being able to, to provide the leadership that this state and this country needs when sad to say Latinos are the, poor, are the poorest group of all of the ethnic and racial groups in California and in, the, and, and in this country. And all the studies indicate that, that the poor groups uh, don't, buy, don't, don't uh, vote as often, don't participate in the community as, as often. So, so we have to fight, it seems to me, that, that, that reality. Uh, but I think that that with, with, a, with a proper change, uh, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that in fact the Latino community can take the leadership that we need to take in, in making sure that, that, that we have the type of programs that we need in California and in need of this country uh, to help have all of our citizens be, be, be properly educated. And you know, we, we sometimes wonder about the shortness of uh, public policies. Because I was able to go to, for free public education, uh, I have earned uh, more money, I have paid more taxes, I have repaid the state of California many times uh, because of the education that they gave me. And we have to do that, it seems to be all the citizens, particularly those citizens that come from poor, poor, poor uh, communities, because those who come from higher communities that have parents that, that went to college, that encouraged their children to go to college, that helped help them read and so on, uh, I, th- I think they'll do okay. I have four children. All of them went to college because we never, say, we never said if you go to college. We just said when you go to college. So, but we have to worry about that type of opportunity, I think, for, for, for all of our young people. Then we have to worry about immigration. Uh, Everybody agrees that our system of immigration is, is broken. Uh, and that's been debated, as, as we know, in, in, in Washington for such a long time. The Senate finally passed a comprehensive immigration bill. It's tied up in, in the House of Representatives. And, and it, it doesn't appear to me that, that it's ever going to get out of that, frankly. So uh, now I spent about 10 years of my life in El Centro. And I helped many, many folk immigrate. That's before, the, that's before we had some changes in the immigration laws. At that time, if, if you were eligible to be an immigrant, all you needed was a, a letter of employment to be immigrated. And so when, when a grower needed, needed an employee because of the Bracero program, they already knew many of the workers, uh, we, they, would, uh, they would get a letter of employment, and, and it was very easy to, to, to immigrate into, 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 this, into this country. Now I have a friend who lives in Merida who would like to immigrate, and he's been approved. You know, they approve him, and they put him on the list. I think he has to wait 20 years before, before he, can, he can immigrate. Hopefully he'll still be alive if he, st- if he, want, if he wants to come. So, so it, it, ha- it has become an impossible situation. Part of it, of course, is the fault of Mexico and the Mexican government. I understand now, I got a call, and I didn't quite understand what it was about, but the news this, this evening made it clear to me. A, a fellow called me and said there were some folk coming from Mexico. They wanted to meet with me and with many community members. And they came here because of the death, uh, of the disappearance uh, of those students in Oaxaca that have disappeared. And, and they want to come here to, to have the American government put pressure on the Mexican government uh, because they have little faith in the Mexican government that they investigate that, that better because they still have, have no, 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 re, no responses. So there's some, there's some fault uh, on the part of, of Mexico. But there's a great deal of fault also, I know it personally, in the American government. Uh, we have had policies that have made it very difficult for Mexico to develop. In fact, we have had policies that have destroyed much of the economy of Mexico. For example, in the free, tr- in the free trade, uh, we have imported go- uh, subsidized corn to Mexico. The estimates that I have read are that 
two billion small farmers in Mexico have gone out of business because they simply couldn't compete with the subsidized corn that we were that we were sending to to Mexico. I say that I that uh, I, I, I feel that personally because I have many relatives in the, in the state of Jalisco, in Los Altos de Jalisco, the highlands of Jalisco. And, and I still remember I had a fellowship to study Mexican constitutional law in Mexico City. Uh, and on the way back, my wife and I went to visit with my relatives in, in Los Altos. Um, and uh, and my, my relatives lived somewhat a few miles away from the main town, which is Jalos de Titlán. So my relatives met us, uh, and and they had a little burro for my wife to to, to ride on. See, they, they they figured that she would that she needed some help. The rest of us just walked. But uh, my my uncle made a living on what would be no more than about twenty acres, if, if that. He had some cows. He he sold the milk, uh, and he and they were able to live off what they were growing. All of that became impossible uh, with with the free free trade movement. And, and where, where the studies I've read ask, where did those two million farmers go? They, they had no jobs. They were farmers. Most of them ended up in places called Texas and California. Uh, so, so much of the, of, the, of the undocumented folk that we have in this country actually have been, have been in many ways become economic, dis, economically displaced people. Even the maquiladoras, the studies I have, I have read say that the maquiladora owners, for some reason, have preferred young women. So many young men have gone to the border areas to work in those factories that have been set up uh, around, uh, by, on, the southern, uh, on the northern part of Mexico by, by, the, by the border. They go and they find they can't find jobs. By that time, they're, they're, they're young men, in their 20s maybe, they have no job, uh, they, they can't make a living back in their hometowns, so they take the chance of cro- crossing the border uh, n- no, no, no matter how dangerous it is. Uh, so sad to say, and something like, like that, so serious, uh, it, it, we in, in our country uh, have uh, a, a great deal of, of, of realization uh, that, is, that has been very often our own doing that has caused the problems that we now have here in terms of, of, of immigration. Um, my wife and I visited El Centro just a few years ago. First time I had been there in, in a few years. And I can't tell you how sad I felt when I saw that wall that didn't used to exist there. When I was living in El Centro, uh, 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 Mexicali and the Imperial Valley were like two cities uh, we, um, there was a, a, a well-known Chinese restaurant that, in Mexicali that many from Imperial County went to, interestingly. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, uh, Mexico has quite a few, particularly Japanese, but also Chinese immigrants. And, and, it's, and you always have to, have to uh, hear them twice when they speak in perfect Spanish. You know? <laughs> uh, but, and then another gentleman and I took a class in Mexicali about how to write business letters. I knew how to write, but we wanted to perfect ourselves. I don't know that could, that could happen anymore with, with, with the weight that people have uh, to take now to, to go from Imperial Valley to Mexicali and from Mexicali to, to, to Imperial Valley. And, and frankly, to me, the wall it is, it, it is like... Uh, it's like the wall that used to exist in East Berlin. It's, it's the wall of enemies. And yet I remember so well when, during the Second World War when I was a little boy, and, and we always had calendars that had uh, the American flag and the Mexican flag crossed like this, and a picture of the American president and the, Mex- and the Mexican president. I grew up with that. I grew up at a time when we were friendly with, me- with, with, with Mexico. In some ways, we, we are still to this day, we, we, we are among the third largest uh, nations uh, in terms of the merchandise that pass between our countries. Uh, Canada, China, and Mexico are the greatest partners economically. But not, so, so goods can cross borders, but people can't. And, and, and when people can't, they have to do whatever, whatever they can uh, to, to, to support themselves, and that's why people are here. I've, I've known and do know many, many undocumented. It's not true that they don't pay taxes, and, they, and it is true that they, that they call on far fewer 
resources from government. The resources they call most often is education because their children are entitled to, 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 go, to, to, go, to go to public schools. But, but as a whole, they, they, are, they are a tremendous benefit to this country uh, econ- economically. And as I say, uh, they, they, do, they do pay their taxes. What we need is a, is a realistic immigration policy that recognizes what we need by, by we, I mean we in America, and the United States of America, need uh, as immigrants. Because we, we need immigrants. The, the people in, Cali- in the United States are getting older. And we need younger people. It, th- those, those who are in Social Security uh, better be thankful that we have those younger people coming here. Otherwise, they, they may not have those checks as they, as they, as they get older. Uh, so we, we need those immigrants. But then we should also see which countries, particularly American countries, uh, want to send their, their, their people to, 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 to the U.S. And, and it's interesting, too. Uh, I, I've, of course, paid more attention to Mexico than, than, than other countries. It seems to me that some years ago, the Mexican government sort of felt that badly that people would leave Mexico as if they, as if they were abandoning Mexico. Well, but now the Mexican government welcomes uh, not not, on, not only Mexicans who've immigrated to this country, but children of Mexicans. In fact, the town that my folks come from, Jalos Totitlan, invited me to go back to Jalos, uh, which I had visited many times. Uh, but this time, they were honoring me as the as the son of folk who came from Jalos Totitlan who immigrated to this country, uh, and. And the, the consuls in this country, we've had a terrifically fine consul in Sacramento who's been very active with the community, not only with the Latino community, with everybody, but particularly with the Latino community. Uh, and, and he helps set, set up an organization uh, that, 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 among other things, raises scholarships for young Latinos to, to, to continue with their, with their education. So there's now a, a, a sense, I think, by the Mexican government and the Mexican, Mexican people in Mexico that, that we really have a lot to share with, 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 with one another. So I, I view that as a very, very positive uh, uh, change in terms of the relationship that, we, that, we, that the U.S. has with Mexico. Uh, yet, none, nonetheless, you know, we still have great problems in Mexico, the, the, the mordida being one of them. You know? uh, my, many of my relatives used to come as braceros. And, one, and every new president in those, te- in those days, that's before Pan was able to win the presidency a couple of times. So the Mexicans used to tell us, gee, you know, you, you Americans are so backward. You have to wait for an election to find out who your president is going to be. We know ahead of time. <laughs> you know, because the, the, the PRI uh, would always announce who the nominee was, and in those days the PRI would always win. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. Uh, after law school, I went to Mexico to study Mexican constitutional law for six months and got to know the dean of, of UNAM, the National University, very well. And at first, he would argue with me that he was very, very that Mexico was very democratic. Well, I knew it wasn't very democratic because my father came to see, to see us when my wife and I were in Mexico, and he had worked for the railroads for a while, and so he wanted he wanted to go to the railroad yard. The, the news had just announced that a long-time long strike had just come to an end in the railroads. So we went to, we went to the railroad car. Not one, not one car was moving. Clearly, the strike was still on. So I asked, why did the newspapers report that? And they said, well, the government controls the newspapers. How do they do that? They said they control the amount of paper that it can, be, can be imported to Mexico. So the Mexican government really was not very democratic in those days. And so by the time I left, I had gotten to know the dean very well. So he says to me, well, Cruz, says, you're right. We're not really democratic. It takes a long time, he said, to develop a democratic ambiance, a democratic system. He says, if right now we were truly democratic, the, 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 the Archbishop of Guadalajara would be elected president. And we can't have that, he said. And, and, and you know, he was right. It took about half a century before the, the opponent, op, opposing party, the PAN, actually was won. The, folk, the, folk, the area where my folks come from is very conserv- conservative. It's said that it's more Catholic than the Pope. Uh, and, uh, and so they were panistas. 
And they would tell me that, that I guess in earlier days, because I didn't think, think that was happening when I went to Mexico, uh, the government would set up two voting booths. One was for the PAN and one was for the PRI. Invariably, because they were their small farmers, very independent, they would all line up behind the PAN. So they would vote for the PAN. Just a few people would, fi- would sign up uh, to, to, vote, to vote for the P. Invariably, the P won. You know? <laughs> so, so, so I knew that it wasn't very democratic, but it took the dean some time to sort of admit that uh, to me. Uh, but he was right that it takes time to develop democratic ideals, democratic practices, because it took the PAN about half a century to, to win the presidency twice. Now the PRI is back in power, but now they know they can lose. So I think it's a far more democratic uh, system in, in Mexico now than, than it used to be. But we have other problems. The police community problems. You know, we've all been reading uh, 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 about uh, 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 what happened in Missouri. Uh, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, where a black young man uh, got killed. But I, I wrote a little article called Ferguson, Missouri in Yolo County, California. I live in Yolo County because we had a killing of a, of a young farm worker there. He, shot, he was shot in the back. The DA wrote a report saying everything was legal. You know, somehow uh, in, in those type of situations, like the, like the DA in Missouri, somehow everything is okay. There were protests and so on, uh, but, but basically nothing happened. That young, young uh, immigrant, uh, Mexican farm worker, uh, had only been in this country about 10 years. Uh, and, and in that time, he had been stopped by the police about 17 times. One time he got stopped for riding a bicycle on the wrong side of the street. Why were they stopping him? Obviously to see if they could, uh, there was something wrong that they could charge him with. Very much what's happened now, the Justice Department, as you know, know did a study of, uh, of, of uh, Ferguson and found that blacks there were being, were being stopped 70 percent times more more than than white drivers, for example. So, sad to say, in my view, what happened in Ferguson really is happening throughout the country. That's a very, very serious problem. It seems to me uh, uh, in our country, we set up what we call a private civil rights commission to look into the killing of Luis Gutierrez. That was the that was the young uh, farm worker who, who, who got killed. During that time, I remember running in, into into a mother. Uh, who said that she had a son that was 10 or 12 years old and she was, she was afraid daily that her son would be, would be accused by the police of being a gang member. And she says, how do, how, do you, how do you unprove that you're a gang member? It's practically impossible. They have a list of a- attributes of a gang member. All of us could, be, could, could come within that definition. For example, if you associate with a gang member, well, what happens if a member of your family is a gang member? You're certainly going to associate, and, and yet that's one of the criteria for, for, for saying that, that you're a gang member. And they have expert police officers who will go before a jury and say, yes, this person could be a gang member because if you have two of those criteria, there are about 10 criteria, you've been considered a gang member. And as you know, uh, there, are, um, there are additions uh, when there's a crime, say there's been a crime, and if you're also accused of being a gang member, you can be sent to prison for another five or 10 years, I forget, uh, just as there's an addition if you've used a gun. Uh, so, so those things are, are really uh, very serious. And, and one of the most serious is, is the following. Some of you might have uh, noticed some years ago there was a pepper spray incident uh, at, uh, at uh, uh, University of California at Davis. The president of the university asked me to chair a committee to look into what had happened. Uh, and <laughs> I must say that I, uh, he didn't call directly at one of his decisions called. I said, you know, you, you better ask, ask the president again whether he really wants me to be because I have a reputation for speaking my mind. And he called back and says, yeah, the president still wants you to, to be. So I, met, <laughs> so, so, so I met with many experts during that time. Incidentally, we found that it was a complete mistake. All kinds of mistakes were made that caused the pepper spray. It never should have happened. And, and, and we, had a, we had a uniform... Um, report. There were students, there were professors, there were, ex- there were uh, members of, of the uh, leadership out of Oakland. We had a very mixed group, and yet we all agreed that that pepper spray never should have happened. All kinds of things were, were, were violated. But what, what concerned me more, more was the following. I met with an expert on police practices, 
and he, and he told me that he had been hired by between 50 and 60 police departments. I think he said uh, 57. Uh, and, and he said that uh, all of those, only one met the criteria that he thought all police departments should meet. And the criteria, he said, is that a police officer, who's a very important person in our society, they're the only people that are permitted to kill people, to, to carry a gun uh, uh, outwardly and, and so on. They're very important people in our society. He said only one police department met the criteria, and the criteria was that they would treat a fellow police officer the way they would treat any other, uh, any other human being. Uh, in other words, sad to say, when a police officer does something wrong, other police officers are reluctant to, 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 to say so. And, I, and I, can understand, I can understand the problem. If, if a police officer has done something wrong, a fellow police officer, uh, quote, squeals, end quote, on him, chances are that the, that the squealing police officer won't be able to stay on the police force very often because the others will give him a hard time. The police chief, in turn, wants to get along with his men and women. So it's very difficult to enforce. But frankly, I agree with him that until, until we can be sure that the, that the police will, will, will tell the truth when a fellow police officer has done something wrong, sad to say we can never have that absolute confidence that we should have on, on, on the, on, with, with, a, with a police department. And, and, and I've seen, you know, in fact, in the killing of Luis Gutierrez in, Yol- in Yolo County, uh, it, it was an anti-gang uh, group of three officers that, that killed him. Two of them shot at him and, and, and killed him, uh, as I say, shooting him on the back. They had all kinds of reasons. Uh, then, then they claimed that he had that he had uh, uh, th- that he had pulled a knife out on him. That's why they had to shoot to shoot him. There were several witnesses that we came up with uh, our commission uh, who who didn't see a, a knife at all. There was one officer who who did not participate in the killing. And, and I, frankly, I have always wondered whether whether or not that officer said he didn't see anything. Whether, whether he said that, uh, indeed, speak, uh, indeed uh, relying on, the, uh, on that reality that, they won't, that an officer won't speak against, against another. So, so that's, that's very serious. But let me just mention a couple of other things. Housing. I don't know of anything that would help in terms of better economic standing uh, than, than having housing for poor people. I'm involved with a group now that's trying to convince the government to put more money into housing because the government is putting it mostly into apartments because they're needed. But they argue that black and brown people lost practically all of their savings because they had it in their houses uh, and, uh, during this recession. And they were the highest percentage of, of folk who lost their houses. And, 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 and the group wants to encourage government to put more resources in, 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 into housing. Not, not successful thus far, but trying very hard, and hopefully they will succeed because it's only there that they will be able to get back a, a bit of their resources. Because as we, as we do the studies, we, we find that how many resources a family has is so important in terms of whether the children will, will get an education, will go on to college, and so on. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we will have luck in, in, in that regard. And, and then health. You know, what could be more important in having equality uh, than, 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 than health? Uh, and there's an organization in California, I didn't know until recently, that has been uh, urging uh, that, that we have free health for everybody in California. I can't think of anything, anything that, would, that would be better in terms of, of serving all of the people in California. And Latinos, with their increased economic and political power, I think could be a real force together with other groups in California, to bring those changes about, to have the police be more responsive to the, to the community, to have housing for poor people, uh, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to afford free public education uh, to, to all of us. And, and so let me just uh, finally mention this to you. I've been reading a book that talks about communities. And, it's, it's, and, it, and they've done a study of the top 20% earners and the, top and the lower 20% earners. 
And they have decided that in industrial countries, as, as is true in the U.S. and much of Europe and, and much, of the, much of the world, once you, once you earn enough money for basics like food and so on, money doesn't mean that much. Other, thi other things mean, mean a lot more. And they have a test, and I'll just read them to you so you can see how thorough this, this study was. They, they look first at the level of trust that we have on one another. And that's very important in terms of happiness of a community. Uh, the life expectancy of the people, the infant mortality rate, the obesi obesi obesity problem. You know, it used to be that rich people used to be uh, fat and poor people were thin. Now poor people are, are fat because th they don't have the money to buy good food and rich people are, are, are thin. Uh, children educational performance, imprisonment rates, and social mobility. Those are the things that they, they were testing. And they concluded that, that those countries, or they did a study also of the United States, those states that had, that had the, the, the closest relationship of the ones who were in the top 20% were the ones in the lower 20% were the happiest communities. And, it, and we were speaking about everybody, the ones who were in the top 20% and the ones who were in the lower 20%. And just think about it, level of trust. If you're in the top, in the top area and you have no trust in others, you're afraid that there might be a burglary, that other things can happen. Trust is very important in having a community uh, be healthy and, and, and be happy. Uh, sad to say, uh, we in the United States are the second worst in the, in the world in terms of the difference between, between the, the wealthy and, and, and the poor. And, and I mentioned, I think in one of the interviews this afternoon, that a judge, many years ago, he was appointed by President Wilson, said something like this, uh, you can have most of the assets of the country be in the hands of a few people, or you can have democracy, but you can't have both. And I think that's true. To have true economic democracy, uh, to true political democracy, you've got to have an element of, 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 of democracy, uh, of, of economic democracy, so people can, can participate and indeed be, happy, be, be happiest, if, if you will. So I just feel that Latinos now, with their growing numbers, Latinos now in California who are representative of what the United States of America will look like in, in 20, uh, 46, 60 years, whatever, uh, that, that we need to work with other groups uh, to bring about uh, betterness, a, a better quality of all these matters that I, ha that I have mentioned, whether it's education or immigration or the police community relations or housing um, or, 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 or the economic standing of people in, in, the, in, the, in the community. Uh, so I always think about what Abraham Lincoln said. You know, he said during the, those trying times uh, when, when we were about to have the Civil War, where percentage-wise more Americans got killed than, it, than any other war. And he used to say, the Constitution of the United States recognizes the reality of slavery. But, but he says it also has within it what he called the standard maxim, the standard maxim of equality and freedom. And we have the duty day in and day out to work to make sure that we approach the standard maximum of our Constitution. In like manner, I've been talking about some of the problems, problems that we have, but we also have the ideals that we have. And we as citizens and we as residents need to work day in and day out to make sure that our, that our communities, our state, our nation reach, reach that standard maximum that we will want for all those groups to have. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.